0: We're going to start off with an exercise. People who visualized an exercise were successful at meeting this objective. So let's start off with this. Let me paint you a picture. Two people, an attorney and a doctor, walk into their favorite restaurant and sit at their spot. A server walks up and asks them, would you like your regulars? They respond in an affirmative and go back to their conversation. Super simple scenario, right? Let's look at the picture each of us has painted in our own minds. Did you give the people specific genders? Where were the people from or what nationality were they? Did you think about what the regular order was going to be? And did telling you that you could be successful persuade you to visualize if you hadn't planned to in the first place? Everyone is different and accordingly will have different answers to these questions. But as you can see, even in a few short sentences where you're focused on the exercise, our mind can take shortcuts to fill in the gaps. Just imagine how many shortcuts our minds will take when we're trying to process all the things we see, hear, and smell on a second-by-second basis. And so that is why bias can happen. This is the Practicing Leader Podcast. I'm your host, Purul Bargava, and let's discuss. At its core, bias refers to a pattern where we systematically favor or disfavor certain individuals, groups, or ideas. Sometimes we don't even realize we're doing it. But the real question is, why does it happen in the first place? The answer lies in neuroscience. Our brains, in the quest to make sense of all the overwhelming information around us, rely on heuristics and shortcuts. Think of these as your brain's version of control C, control V. While these shortcuts are great for speedy decision making, they can sometimes lead us astray and resulting in biased judgments. Why? Because our brain loves labels and familiar categories. Meet the amygdala, part of the brain that is the emotional powerhouse of your brain. Its job to process emotions and detect threats. But it also plays a starring role in forming our initial interactions and initial reactions to stimuli, creating those sneaky implicit biases. For instance, a bad experience with a certain group can lead to an implicit bias that influences how we perceive and behave towards that group in the future. Next, we have the prefrontal cortex, the brain's command center for reasoning and self-control. It's like the brain's personal bias bouncer, regulating our bias responses. But here's the problem. Even the bouncer can get tired, and it makes it harder and harder for our brains to be able to keep those biases in check. Bias is intricately tied to the neural processes involved in perception, emotion, and decision-making. The brain's natural inclination is to simplify information, coupling it with social and cultural influences. It creates a complex interplay that creates biases. Recognizing and understanding these neural roots is a crucial step in addressing bias. This will enable individuals and leaders to implement strategies that promote awareness, empathy, and inclusive decision-making. What we're going to look at here now is implicit biases, and this refers to the attitudes or stereotypes that affect our understanding, actions, and decisions in an unconscious manner. These biases are automatic and often unintentional and are often rooted in societal and cultural influences. Unlike explicit biases, which are consciously held and acknowledged, Implicit biases operate at a subconscious level and can shape our perceptions and behaviors without our awareness. You might ask, why does it happen? Or is this like, I don't do this. This isn't me. It is. it's, It's just human behavior. It's just the way our brain processes information. It's about now opting to do something different now that you understand. So now that we've opted to want it to be different, how do we tackle this? What I'm going to be discussing next is called the SEEDS model. It's a way about thinking about biases and it stands for different types of biases that people often run into. Similarity, expedience, experience, distance, and safety. Now, what we're going to do now is jump into each of these and talk about ways that you can combat that in yourself. Let's start off with similarity. This is functionally, people are like me or better. It's effectively a mirror of myself or there's in-group or out-group bias. These are things that show up and you're like, Hey, Since they think like me or that they look like me, therefore they must be like me. It involves more positively evaluating people who are similar to us or who share similar goals. So what does it look like? What it functionally looks like is when you see somebody that is similar to you, you evaluate them more positively. And conversely, folks that don't look similar to you are viewed more negatively. This often comes up in decisions about people. So what do you do about that? First off, you proactively think about everyone as being the in-group. Ask questions and look for common ground. You'll be surprised how much there is. If you're a manager, when you're considering giving the next big project to your favorite person, make sure there's good knowledge transfer happening and mentoring of more junior people on your team. That way, information is shared, and that way, everyone has that opportunity to become that favorite person. Let's get measurable. How much time are you spending with each person on your team, and are they comparable? How much work are you delegating, and to whom? Another way to tackle this is create a structured and equitable process for interviewing candidates. Note I said equitable and not equal. There's a difference between those two. Lastly, when you're evaluating someone to join your team, consider how their experiences can add to your culture versus will they conform to your culture, i.e., are they a a good culture fit? Instead of looking are they a good culture fit, Ask, what can they contribute to your culture? The next one is called expedience. This one is, if it feels familiar and is easy, it must be true. Effectively, if it walks like a duck, talks like a duck, it must be a duck. This is also where confirmation bias comes into play. What does it look like? Often this will occur in everyday decisions that involve complex calculations, analysis, or evaluation, or identifying conclusions out of data. So you get a report, you look at it, and you automatically assume the conclusion behind why that data looks the way it is. Now, what do you do about these things? How do you overcome that? First off, what I do at least is stop, drop, and roll. Take a moment to review the pros and cons of any decision before making a snap judgment or an automatic opinion-based decision. Review the logic for your decision with a second individual. You know, getting a review from somebody else will kind of give you a second set of eyes, give you another perspective. The best case scenario would be is finding someone that usually has a different perspective than you ask for their input, and give time to allow it to sink in for yourself. Worst case scenario, push the decision out a day or two, or even over a weekend, and that way it gives you some time to build a process and think about that decision and make sure that the right decision is being made. And then finally, be cognizant that an overall positive impression of someone could result in you giving a green light to something without proper evaluation, i.e. your favorite employee brings you an idea, and because they're your favorite employee, therefore you go ahead and green light their project. This is often called the halo effect, and it also has an opposite. Its opposite, the horns effect, can result in dismissing an idea, concept, or person due to an overall negative impression. We all run into these things. We all take these shortcuts, not because we mean to, but because our minds help us do that. And by help, I'm using that in air quotes to make sure that folks understand that helping there is this matter of trying to speed up your brain processing time, not necessarily getting you to the right outcome when you look at it objectively. The next one is experience. This one shows up in ways that I don't personally like. For example, my truth is the only right one, or my perceptions are accurate and everyone else's are incorrect, or a false consensus effect. So what does it look like? This can occur anytime we fail to see that things may not be the way that they seem. In any situation where we fail to appreciate other people's perspectives, these are two things where you need to be thoughtful and be open-minded to hearing what other people are trying to say, and actually listen to hear versus listening to respond. So what do you do to overcome this? Here's some things you can try to do. Ask for other people's perspectives and actually listen to their perspectives, actually hear what they're saying. If you're in a meeting and you're looking to try to generate ideas, give everyone post-it notes and have them or some other digital equivalent and make sure that everyone's perspective is considered equitably. Make sure that everyone gets gets their ideas up on the board and you can hear everyone actually provide their ideas one by one, somewhat obvious, be curious ask questions. That way you can at least get more information to help you be able to see what is at the other side. This next one is distance. This one's probably near and dear to all of our hearts because you know what? We've been working in a hybrid world for the majority of the last couple of years, and it's become a prevalent thing to consider. This is where the ideas of closer is better than distant, as well as I've got folks that are in my family, folks that are not in my family, as ways to be able to influence what kind of decisions you'll make about that topic. What does it look like? It involves focusing on short-term here and now rather than thinking about the long-term investment. What do you do to overcome this? In a hybrid world, this one is important. Make sure you make space for people in remote locations to be able to speak up without fighting for time to speak. You know what? Everyone, Let's say you're sitting in a conference room with a bunch of your peers and someone is on the phone. Try to make space for that person to be able to speak and be able to provide their ideas and be critical because they're not going to be able to break through people that are talking live in a room. If one or more members is required to meet online, ask that all team members do the same. This will help reduce the impact of this bias as everyone appears and communicates the exact same way. If you're a manager, it's important to be deliberate in building relationships with your remote staff. It's difficult enough being time zones away. This goes into time spent that we talked about when we were talking about similarity. How much time are you spending with each individual? Lastly, speaking of time zones, share the pain. Do not make one person pay the price every time a meeting has to happen. Adjust meetings to ensure the burden is shared across as best as possible. Use your judgment, make make sure it makes sense, but do your best. And the next one is safety. In this one, this is where we think about being risk averse or things that are dealing with risks. Where bad is stronger than the good. Where you're trying to be the protector, you're trying to avert loss. And the way this shows up is that anytime there's any sort of decision that you're about to make that has some sort of risk associated with it, you can expect that this bias will likely show up with it. How do you overcome this? Consider this. You're making a decision today. Think about it from the perspective of what about that decision and how is that going to look like in a day, in a week, in a month, or even in a year? When you think in those time windows, do you still feel this decision is the right one? Take it a step further. Would you make this decision for somebody else? Would you do this on someone else's behalf and make that decision for them? Consider the value side of the equation also. What is good about the idea and what value does it bring? And when you compare that against the risk, what are the pros and cons? And finally, again, let's get measurable, look at the data and background information to shed further light on this decision. These are ways you can help combat this specific bias. We talked about the origins of bias. We talked about ways you can try to overcome them, looking at similarity, expedience, experience, distance and safety. These are things that you can try to tackle and be able to acknowledge for yourself. That way you have an opportunity to be able to opt to be different. So whenever you have an interaction with somebody or think about a brand new idea, consider do any of these biases actually impact how you're thinking about the decision and what impact it actually will have. By understanding the neural roots of bias and implementing strategies like the SEEDS model, we can promote awareness and empathy. Remember, addressing bias requires continuous effort and self-reflection. By challenging our own biases and embracing our differences, we can create a more equitable outcome for everyone involved. If you have any questions about this podcast or any other, you can always feel free to go ahead and drop me a line. You can go ahead and give me a call at 206-651-4312 and leave a message. Or alternatively, you can send me an email at questions at thepraxingleader.com. I'll go ahead and weave it into whatever conversation we have in the next podcast and make sure that your question gets answered. This has been the Praxing Leader Podcast. My name is Parul Bargava, and I'll talk to you next week.